Okay, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 25. And some of you may not even know what the tabernacle is, but before the temple, there was actually a tabernacle, which, which would lead to the temple. But here we are, about 1500 BC, in the middle of nowhere by Mount Sinai, and God decides that he wants his people to build something for him. This is the third recorded building project in the Bible. The first one is the Ark, and Noah did a great job with that. Stayed afloat for a full year and then came to rest on Mount Ararat, and it saved our world. So well done, Noah. Second building project in the Bible was the Tower of Babel. That didn't end well, did it? And they didn't even get finished, and God came down and confused all their languages and sent them packing. And then this is the third building project found in the Bible. And what the Israelites were building is, in essence, a tent. That's right, a tent. So here we are in Exodus 24, uh, verse 17 is where we're going to start. It says this, Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. This Mount Sinai was ablaze. It was like a volcano. And this is kind of what Sinai would have looked like. It would have looked like, uh, it would have looked like a fiery inferno with thunder and lightning. And, and it was talking. And Moses went up on that. And the people thought he died. He was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And when he comes back down, the first thing he says, Can you imagine? Do you imagine you come? And everyone's like, He's alive. And then you're like, well, what's he going to say? And what he goes on to say in chapter 25, verse 1 is, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. So Moses emerges from this inferno, and they're like, he's alive! And they're like, listen. And then Moses is like, we are taking up an offering. God meets with Moses on a burning mountain and sends him back down to tell the people it's time for a collection. God is showing how we worship him. There are times when he calls for people to give to something that he's doing. Well, what is it? In verse 3 it says, and this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. And then he goes on to list it. Number one, write this down. This answers the question, how on earth can I enter God's heavenly presence? Write that down. How on earth can I enter God's heavenly presence? God reveals himself on Sinai and he calls one guy up and then he sends him back down and he, and he gives this one guy a plan to do something. Reading on, it says, and this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, and the ephod and for the breastpiece, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Do you see what it says there in verse 8? Make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God was making a way for people to enjoy his presence, his heavenly presence on earth. It began when he lit a mountain on fire and said, Moses, come on up. But then nobody was able to come up with them. And he sent Moses back down and made a way for them to build a tabernacle so people could enjoy the presence of God. 
The question being answered here is, how on earth can I enter God's heavenly presence? Uh, And jot this down. Here's the first thing we see. Behold, God has revealed himself. First things first. Behold, God has revealed himself. God must reveal himself or we can never know him and know how to approach him. He set a mountain on fire and started talking. He showed up in power. Behold, God has revealed himself. The people came near and heard the voice of God, and Hebrew says they begged that God would stop talking because it was terrifying. God revealed himself. This teaches us so much. We get our truth from God. It's fashionable today for people to act like they can believe anything about God that their heart desires, like as if they've got this bucket of Legos with no instructions, and they can assemble God any any way they want, and God can be anyone they want. Uh, That is not what the Bible teaches. God has an identity. He reveals his nature, his will, his law, and a path to approach him. We have to believe this as the starting point, or or we will never know who God is, and we will never know how to approach him. If we're just inventing any old thing about God and inventing any old God, we will never know the one true God. God, behold, God has revealed himself. This all began when Moses talked to a burning bush. Here's a picture of that. And God revealed who he is, what his name is, and what his will is. And Moses took his sandals off because he was standing on holy ground. If you don't understand that God has to reveal himself to you, then you can never know him. You have to begin your journey toward the Lord by admitting that he has to show you who he is. God displayed his nature and his will when he pounded Egypt with plague after plague and then delivered his people. Now he welcomes them to Mount Sinai where he's talking through a flaming mountain and revealing who he is. This is our God. He reveals himself. But jot this down. Beware, God is a consuming fire. Behold, he's revealed himself. Beware, God is a consuming fire. The idea of Sinai is this. God said, if anyone touches the mountain, they will die. Touch it. That's sending a message to sinful humanity. You can't come into my presence the way you are. I don't know where you think you started with God, but your understanding of where you are with God has to begin by facing the Sinai truth, which is you can't enter God's presence in your sin because that's a fatal encounter. You and your sin can't go to God's heavenly presence. That's what Sinai was all about. Beware, God is a consuming fire. This shows us that our sins have separated us from a holy God and invited his judgment. But praise God, he came down to rescue us. He saved the people and brought them into his presence, but then he said, beware, you can't come into my presence in your sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That God wants to rescue you from your sin, but your sin has separated you from him. That's where faith begins. Behold, God has revealed himself. Beware, God is a consuming fire. So how is God going to solve that problem? Well, the tabernacle teaches us so much. Jot this down. Number two, what does the tabernacle teach us about faith and worship? The tabernacle shows us how God can make his dwelling among man. We have a picture here of the tabernacle, because I'm assuming many of you don't even know what it is. 
the tent or the tabernacle was laid out like this. On the right, you have the first curtain at the entrance. And then you have this like lattice skeletal system of all this gold-covered wood, these pillars that were set up. And then there would be like golden bars that went through the walls. It was portable, so you could set it up and tear it down. Israel had a road crew just like we had a road crew. And they had to learn, the Levites had to learn how to set this up and tear it down. The curtains were the finest linen. There was animal skins covering it on the top to make it waterproof. Uh, and when you walked in, there were some articles of furniture there. And then there were some two articles of furniture on the outside. So what was inside of it? Well, there were six pieces. The bronze altar and the bronze basin on the outside for washing and sacrifices. Once you walked in to the left, there would be the golden lampstand. Uh, to the right, there was the table of showbread. And then the altar of incense was right in front. And then if you see on the left, that's the Ark of the Covenant. If you saw the Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's what it is, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was placed in an area called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. So you walked into the first curtain to the Holy Place. Only the priests could go there. Then you walk into the Most Holy Place and there was only one person allowed there, the High Priest. And he was only allowed in there one day a year. Very interesting. The tabernacle was all set up to show us uh, about faith and worship. This was actually quite a pristine, awesome, lavish palace. It was all covered in gold. If you walked in, it would feel like this glistening, like, like, like super ritzy place. And it was a tent, and it was in the middle of nowhere. The Records in the Bible reveal that the Israelites gave 2,000 pounds of gold, 7,500 pounds of silver, and 5,000 pounds of bronze to build this place. That's a lot of precious metal. One, one person online said that if you added up the current value of just the precious metal alone, it would be over a $60 million building project. $60 million tent! Tent! What are they doing building this tent? That's kind of a funny thought. Here you are in the middle of the wilderness. They're all living in tents. I'd kind of like to reenact this at some point. Like next year, we're all going to go camping, okay? And then, and then we're going to build the most like ornate, costly tent anyone's ever seen. We're going to have a golden Weber grill and a bronze fire pit. And all of our tent pegs are going to be pure gold. And, and uh, how like kind of foolish does this seem? Uh, my uh, daughter Cassie used a great word to describe what this is. The, the youth of this day have this word called glamping. Have you ever heard of that? It's like you mix camping with glamour and it becomes glamping, glamour camping. And I asked myself, this is the Israelites are totally going to be glamping with this golden tent. And I said, what would it be like today to take the most expensive camping trip humanly imaginable? And I figured it out. I did some research online. And there is this motorhome called the Element Palazzo. It costs $3 million. So if you want to show up at your next camping excursion in the most lavish, ornate, expensive way possible, check it out. I found a commercial for this thing. Look, here. Eerily reminiscent of a Star Wars clone trooper helmet, the Element Palazzo from the Austrian company Marchi Mobile is the world's most expensive and visually outrageous motorhome. On the outside, it appears as though a bus landed on top of a convertible and rather unsuccessfully fused with it. Fortunately, however, 
It's what's on the inside that counts, and the Element Palazzo is bursting with decadence and comfort from every scene. Most recreational vehicles or RVs make long trips a mere bearable experience, but this $3 million ride brings the luxury of a palace to the open road. Crammed with all the amenities of a five-star hotel, the Palazzo features a respectable... Okay, Father's Day is coming up. That's on my list. Can you even imagine pulling up to the like local campground with a $3 million beast like that and then like going to the wine bar and sitting up on top looking down on everyone else in their little tents? Yeah, this is kind of like what Israel was doing. They were all this, they were like these nomads. They didn't have any home. There was this entire nation of homeless people. And they had a palace tent in the middle of the camp. They cost them over $60 million just for the precious metal. But the tabernacle was meant to teach them something about faith. In Hebrews 8.5, it reveals that God told Moses to make this tabernacle the exact way that he had seen it meaning that God revealed to Moses a picture of his throne room in heaven. Fathom this, a picture of his throne room in heaven. And so he told Moses to make this as a model of what God's throne room in heaven looks like right now. That is mind-blowing. That this was made as a representation of God's heavenly throne room, his palace in heaven. So the way I see the tabernacle is how many of you made dioramas in elementary school? Raise your hand up if you ever made a diorama. Yeah. What, what this is, is the tabernacle is like a 60 plus million dollar life-sized gold-plated diorama of heaven. Or at least the best part of heaven, where God has his throne. That's pretty cool. I like what one scholar said. He said the building of the tabernacle is more than simply a matter of building a worship site in the desert. It is a piece of heaven on earth. It is. This was God's earthly throne room that they were building. And it teaches us something. It actually models what we believe about God. So let's put up the zoomed out version of it. So this is the entire enclosure. There was a tent around it. Uh, or there were like, there was like a tent or, or uh, curtains around it. And then the tent was in the middle. And here's what this teaches us about faith. You could enter on the right side and you could come up to where the priests were and then it was like, stop right there. You brought an offering, a sacrifice, and then the priests who washed and consecrated themselves could bring your offering before the Lord. They were then allowed to enter the enclosure, but then even at that point, the priests were told no further because the Holy of Holies could only be accessed one time a year by the high priest. This teaches us so much about faith. Leave that picture up there throughout these points, but here's what you can jot down. First of all, this shows us that my sin separates me from God. You can write that down. My sin separates me from God. The whole tabernacle was set up to say, stop right there. Good, hand it off to the priest. Okay, priest, stop right there. Okay, nobody's getting in the Holy of Holies. I'll let one guy in once a year. The reason that it exists that way is to show us that our sin separates us from God. What is that like? After completing a multi-million dollar building tent program, nobody can go in it. Nobody can go, I paid for that. Nope, you're not getting in. Moses couldn't even get inside of it. You are not welcome in my presence in your sin. That's what the tabernacle is shouting. That's what it's shouting. 
My sin separates me from God. Do you understand this spiritual reality that the tabernacle shows? Do you understand that? The curtain on the way into the Holy of Holies was manufactured to never open. All right? Go to the, imagine, all right, Avengers Infinity Wars is coming out soon, right? Imagine going to the theater and you're so excited. And then you sit down with your popcorn and the movie starts and the curtain doesn't open. You're like, what's with this? And then the theater director gets up there and he's like, oh, very sorry, um, this curtain was manufactured to not open. Uh, we'll try and get this figured out. And you're like, well, that's it. I'm out of here. What's with a curtain that doesn't open? The curtain on the way into the Holy of Holies was manufactured with no opening. You can't come in. That's the message. If you don't understand that your sin, whether you were raised in the church or not, that your sin separates you from God, you're not at the starting point of a relationship with Him. There is a wall higher and longer than the Great Wall of China separating you from God the moment you're born. Something has to change to remove it. There is a grand canyon of separation between you and a holy God. And if you think you and God have always been good, He's always been there for me. I've always been a Christian. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. If you don't understand that your if you assume your sins are no big deal to God, the tabernacle exists to correct that fatal error. You cannot come into his presence in your sin. You are not welcome in here. When I was a kid, we found, a, my cousins and I, boy cousins, found a local construction site. And I mean, they were about to build a subdivision, so there was one of those giant, giant mounds of dirt. Have you seen those where they put them up before they get going? So we, we went on that dirt. We climbed up it. We jumped down it. We climbed up it. We rolled down it. We sat in mud puddles. We were caked in mud head to toe. And then we went back to my aunt's house. And we went up to the glass door and opened it up. And she was waiting right there for us. And what do you think she said to us? You're not coming in here like that. And we're like, what's the big deal? And she made us stand outside in the cold and she hosed us down. It was freezing. We were having the time of our lives. And then we get back home and suddenly we're no longer welcome. And when we show up before a holy God, he says the same thing. You're not getting in here like that. Like what? In your sin. And if you think your life is just filled with a few oopses and boo-boos and little white lies, allow the tabernacle to correct that false understanding of the nature of your sin. I like what F.W. Borum says about sin. He says, sin is a revolt from the divine authority. It is the anarchy of the soul. You and God aren't good from birth. Something needs to change that. The tabernacle shows us that. So it shows us my sin separates me from God. Jot this down. It also shows us that the wages of sin is death. That the wages of sin is death. You can fill that in. So you want to approach a holy God. You walk through the the, the curtain and, and you meet a priest and show that diagram again. Here's the tabernacle. And there's a priest waiting for you. And he says, where's your animal? And you're like, what do you mean? Where's your animal? I didn't know I needed an animal. Something needs to die for you to approach God. Blood was everywhere in this thing. Daily, they offered offerings. The priest was told he had to have blood on his ears and his toes. He always, I'm glad that doesn't continue into the New Testament or I'd look a little foolish. Blood, blood, to show that something died to allow the priest to come into the presence of God. The worshiper had to show up with something that had to die. At one point in Exodus, Moses called the whole congregation together. Uh, it says this in Exodus 24, 8. He gathered everyone close and he started dousing them in blood. 
Imagine if we tried to recreate that worship experience here on Good Friday. Hold still, everyone, as we douse you in animal blood. They're covered in it. Why? Something has to die to pay for your sins to gain you access into God's presence. This was a bloody place. Once a year, the high priest was allowed to walk into the Holy of Holies, and if he messed up, he wouldn't make it out alive. Okay? What he did in there was he took, he had the names of the Israelites on his chest and his shoulders. He brought the nation symbolically before God, and he took the blood of the Lamb and put it on the Ark of the Covenant. Now that represents God's throne. God's throne has blood on it. Why? To pacify his wrath to pay the penalty so that a sinful people can dwell in the presence of a holy God. The wages of sin is death. Something, someone has to die to take the penalty for your sins away. Praise God, you don't have to offer animal sacrifices endlessly because the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God, died and His blood was shed so that your sins could be wiped away. Amen for that. Do you see how the tabernacle gets us ready for Christ? Do you see that? My sin separates me from God. The wages of sin is death. Now jot this down. I need a mediator to reconcile me with God. In our individualistic age, this is probably awfully insulting. I'm going to go talk to God. Stop right there. What? I want to talk to God. Stop. You are not a priest. Give me your animal and walk away. Well, why can't I go talk to God? Uh, Because you need a mediator. Give me your animal and walk away. Then the priest gets to walk up to the first curtain and then it's like stop right there and then one priest gets to go into the holy of holies one time and then get out do you see how you need a mediator this of course got us ready for christ who is called the great high priest he is the priest and he enters in not just to the earthly sanctuary the bible tells us but he actually entered into what that was a shadow of god's holy heavenly presence where jesus is now your priest for eternity He has authority to access that presence permanently, and he makes intercession between you and God. What a truth. You need that. If you think you get to go to heaven just because of who you are, you don't understand how to get there. You need someone to intercede, to come between you and God, and to make things right. Only Jesus can do that. The great news is, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil which led into the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. That curtain that was designed to never open, oh, it opened. Jesus opened it. Marvelously, the scripture says that the curtain is his flesh, meaning when Jesus was broken, that's what opened the way for us to go into the most holy place and to enjoy God's presence forever. Our student ministry recently reenacted this. We've got a picture of that. We're on their Good Friday service. They had a curtain up here on this stage that matched the one to the temple, and and then at a dramatic point in the worship service, they tore it open and then sang about how Christ opened up the way that was shut. This is showing us faith. Do you see how the tabernacle teaches us about faith and worship? And God invited his people to invest in this project so that they were literally building a model of their faith. And they were also building up their faith in the process. What is the tabernacle? We're going to dig into it in the weeks ahead. But basically, the tabernacle is God present with his people, God's throne on earth, a portrait of his throne in heaven, a glance back to Eden when God dwelled with man, a glance forward to Christ who would come and make a way, 
a picture of what the church is, a picture of what the Christian is, a portrait of salvation, and a glimpse of what heaven will be like all in a tent. God could have made his palace on top of Mount Everest as big as the Taj Mahal. No, he finds a group of homeless people, has them build a tent, and says, I'm dwelling with them, strangers and aliens in this life. Wow, what a glorious truth. Number one, how can God, how can on earth, can I enter God's heavenly presence? Behold, he's revealed himself. Beware, he's a consuming fire. Number two, what does the tabernacle teach us about faith and worship? Sin separates me from God. The wages of sin is death, and I need a mediator to reconcile me and God. Number three, jot this down. How can I follow the example of God's people? This is an introductory message, so we're not digging in deeply. We're just skipping along the surface to set the table. But look ahead to Exodus 36, verse 1. Exodus 36, verse 1. How did the people respond when Moses came out of the fiery volcano and said, it's building project time? Well, in Exodus 36, verse 1, it says, Bezalel and Aholiab... Anybody expecting any boy name? There you go. Bezal, twins, Bezalel and Aholiab. Every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary, they still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing. And said to Mo- So they paused the work and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. These are our theme verses for our building project phase two. These verses that show that God's people were so generous and responded so well that Moses had to say, enough, enough, project's over. We've collected more than we need. The people responded in such a way that they give us an example for how we need to respond when God lays an opportunity before us. How can I follow the example of God's people? Just as God told the Israelites, bring me an offering, so God invites us, Christians, under the new covenant to bring offerings to him. When it comes to how we give to God, we need to have clear biblical thinking on this, but understand that God invites you and me into his work. And he uses physical things like a building to give us an opportunity to show our faith and to grow our faith. It's all about our faith. Here's the first thing you can write down that we see through the Israelites. Give generously to God's work. Give generously to God's work. You see here that the Israelites were a rescued people. God brought them out of slavery into his presence. And then he called for an offering and they leapt at the chance to give to the Lord's work. Where did they get all this stuff? Where did they get 2,000 pounds of gold? They plundered Egypt when they left. God pounded the Egyptians with plague after plague. And it says, finally, the Egyptians were like, get out now, take anything you want. So they were loaded. And they know that this wasn't their stuff. This was something that God gave them richly as he saved them. So they were willing to give generously. 
When you understand that God has given you everything you have, that you truly don't own anything, you just get to hold it temporarily and then give it back to him, you'll be a great steward with the stuff that he's given you. And you'll find ways to show him that you're grateful and that he really is the owner of everything in your life. Give generously to God's work. Now, when it comes to how we give, we challenge people to have a plan because if you don't have a plan, you're just showing up and maybe you're not giving or you're showing up and you're, you're, just, you're making it up as you go. You don't have a plan. So we challenge people to have a giving plan. And when it comes to the plan, what we say is begin with what the Bible calls a tithe. God asks you to give the best of the first of what you make back to him. That's called a tithe. He's not at the end of the list of bills you pay and you say, okay, after we get all the bills paid, what do we have left over? He comes first. And when you put God first in your finances, then you're partnering with him and he promises to provide for you. If you don't give to the Lord, then you're going it alone. This is an area that you have prevented God from touching. And we so challenge people to put God first in their finances because if you don't, you end up hurting yourself, hurting your Lord, hurting your family, and hurting your church. And none of that is good. We're fine with helping people downriver after they've made a disaster of their finances, but we'd much rather help people at the beginning when you're deciding what you do with what the Lord has provided for you. And that all begins with the discipline of giving. You have a giving plan and you give to the Lord. We challenge everybody in our membership classes who calls Harvest Home to commit to a tithe, which is giving God 10% of your income first. He gets first and then everything comes after that. And if you carve out that discipline and you put that like a rock in the river and you let all the other things flow around, you will have stories of how God has provided for you. I'm sure there are people in this room who have tithed throughout their lives, and even though theoretically you're living on less, you have stories of how God has so provided for you and so protected you. You have story after story after story. And there are other people who maybe have been what the Bible calls eating the bread of anxious toil, and you haven't given, and you've just been trying to make it all happen on your own, and you have ulcer after ulcer after ulcer, because you can't. But God wants to be Lord of your finances. And so let me challenge you, if you're not tithing to the work of the Lord, that's where it begins. I wouldn't want you to start with what we are asking for in the building program. I'd want you to get your basic routine down of coming into his presence and bringing an offering. If you don't understand giving is always a part of worship in the Bible, let me just spell that out for you. Way back in the book of Genesis, when God brought the first worshipers into his presence, Cain and Abel, what did they bring? What did they bring? They brought offerings. They brought fruit. They brought meat. And, and did God really, like, look at the basket of apples and say, I really needed those? Thank you so much. No. Did he really look at the, you know, lunch meat and say, I could really use some of that? No. But he taught people from the earliest recorded scripture, when you come into my presence, you bring an offering. And not only that, he taught people that he looked with favor on the offer of Abel because he brought the best of the first. And it says of Cain, and this should haunt you and me, it says of Cain, God wouldn't even look upon his offering. Which means Cain came reluctantly. He had a grumpy heart. He didn't bring the best of his first. And when, God, when he extended his hand with the check, God wouldn't even look at it. Wouldn't even look at it. Wow. God wanted us to know from the very beginning that he wants us to bring an offering. And imagine if one of them had come empty-handed. What'd you bring? Nothing. That's a bad day. You see, so if you come without an offering, you have to understand that God says, come into my presence and bring an offering. 
And maybe it's time for you to worship in the biblical way by bringing an offering and showing the Lord how much you love Him. Maybe it's time for you to start that. How is your giving going? Give generously to God's work. Do you know when you give to the church here, that goes to so many different things. But one of the things we do is we tithe from all of our offerings. We give it back to church planting. So new churches have come into existence because of your regular offerings every week. Pastor Brandon was sent out to Harvest to start Harvest Rochester in New York. They launched a few years ago, and God's doing amazing things in his church. Recently, Pastor Brandon got in the news in Rochester for a good thing. Check it out. We've got a other church is also celebrating a new worship space, but it's safe to say this one is like no other. That's right. At first blush, you might think it's an April Fool's joke, but Emily Noonan found a joyful congregation happy to be home. When Harvest Bible Chapel started two years ago, they were meeting at St. John Fisher College. Pastor Brandon Capuano says eventually it was time to find a new home. And we're praying. We're asking God to give us a, a, an incredible opportunity uh, at, a, uh, a, a, at a new location. And uh, this, this neighborhood is actually a place that we're praying about. That neighborhood is located in Rochester's North Winton neighborhood. Their place? Not what you would call a traditional church. Welcome to Comedy at the Carlson. During the week, there's no question, this place is for comedy. But when you come here on Sunday and open these doors, it's a whole different atmosphere. Having church in a comedy club, and especially Easter so Sunday, being April... So such awesome stuff. They've got a new building, and isn't it ironic that Brandon's being in a comedy club? And if you know him, you're like, yep, yep, that's exactly where he belongs. God's doing an awesome thing, but I want you to see that your giving to this church opened up a door so that we could give him the seed money to go and start that church. And that's just one church. We support a fellowship of church plants, and we've been able to plant churches in Romania to help out churches in Nepal. We have helped churches all around the United States that are getting up and running. So it's your regular giving to the church that opens up kingdom opportunities. Do you see how God gives us a chance through our offerings to change the world? He gives us a chance through what we give to his church to make an eternal difference in the lives of others. So give generously to God's work. Have a plan, walk by faith, and be wise. Next, make it an expression of faith. You can fill that in. Make it an expression of faith. In other words, you're not giving out of compulsion. You're not giving out of fear. You're giving out of faith. There's a story in the New Testament about a woman who anointed Jesus for his death. You know the story, right? She showed up in Bethany and she brought this expensive jar of perfume. She broke it open and poured it on him. And then she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, with her hair to get him ready for burial. What she gave was worth months and months of wages. And the disciples were like, this should have been given to the poor. And Jesus said, what she has done is a beautiful thing that will be remembered for all time. I asked my daughters once as we were doing family devotions, would you wipe Jesus' feet with your hair to show him you love him? My daughter Cassie, who's very quick, said, first you've got to buy us that perfume. <laughs> Super expensive perfume to show Jesus how much she loved him. And then she wiped his feet with her hair. She made it an expression of her faith. And I don't know when it comes to your commitment to the phase two thing where you'll land. It doesn't matter the amount because we don't know what God has done for you, if he's blessed you, if you're going through a hard season or whatever. But here's what I want it to be said. Whatever you prayerfully decide, I want it to be said that you have done a beautiful thing for the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's, it's very sacrificial. 
Okay, meaning like your giving to Starbucks doesn't overdo what you give to the Lord, all right? Meaning it's a beautiful thing, and it's for the Lord. You're doing it straight for him because you know that he, if he cares as people show up with goatskin and a case of wood and, and precious, if he cares about that and that means something to him, then yes, he does care about your offering and it does mean something to him. If he cares about a woman pouring perfume on him and wiping his feet, he, it matters to him what you give. He knows and he cares. So make it an expression of your faith. Make a true, genuine, sacrificial, beautiful commitment to the Lord Jesus. And finally, serve faithfully with your skills and abilities. There are many people here in the text who are giving of their skills. They're doing their, they're doing their trade. And that's one way they're giving to the Lord. In our phase one, we saved up upwards of about $200,000 on people who, were, who either discounted or donated their time, their trade, they used their connections. And that means a lot to the Lord. That's one way that you can give is through your skills. And so there's such an example here of the Israelites of showing up to work for Christ. And I don't know what you've done to work for Christ, but we want people to work for Christ, and this is one area where they can do it. Hey, listen, a building is simply a tool that God will use to teach us faith and to grow our faith. So as we begin this, you see how we're not talking spreadsheets right now. We're not, we'll get to all that. We're not talking about line items. We're talking about faith because this is what God wants to grow. He wants to build our faith through this process. So be in prayer over the next several weeks in April. We're preparing and informing you during April. And then we're going to invite you to commit to this project in May. And I'd love for you to plan for that now. Let's begin all of this through prayer to the one who can make it happen.